Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and if you've been with us the past few weeks, as we get towards Christmas, you know we've been celebrating Advent, and Mary Waldo has found a great study book on Advent. If you don't have one, there's a few left back there uh, by the back door, you're welcome to, um, to pick one up. But just kind of as a short recap, the word Advent means coming or arrival, And this season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation. I think some of us are waiting for 1 p.m. on Wednesday. That would be when school gets out. Advent is also not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links the past, the present, and the future. Advent gives us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ's coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful, eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people and the different attributes of God represented in the coming of Jesus, hope, peace, joy, and love. Through these traits, we are learning how we can rediscover Christmas despite the challenges, hardships, pains, and difficulties that we could be experiencing right now. And because Christ has come to be with God and with us, we can experience joy no matter what discouragement we may be going through. And we're going to talk about something that's kind of complicated and wonderful. Wonderful, complicated. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? We're going to talk about joy, which at first glance shouldn't be complicated and wonderful, but I kind of think it is. Let me explain the wonderfulness and the complicated nature of joy by comparing two songs, one of which we sang a bit of go. They're both entitled Joy to the World. And we can also thank Jim Waldo for the inspiration for the next part of this message. The first song is called Joy to the World. It's performed by Three Dog Night. It was released back in 1970. And I'm going to need a little audience participation here. I'm going to read some of the verses to that song. And I need you all to say, dun-dun-dun, at the right time. And I will point to you when you need to say, dun-dun-dun. So if you don't know the song, I know a lot of y'all may not, uh, that's okay too. Jim can help those in the back of the room, and uh, if you already know the words of the song, you know when to do this. So here are the words. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. And he always had some mighty fine wine, singing joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Now joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, joy to you and me. Now that is the first song. Notice that in this song, joy is tied to a wine-drinking frog. The second song, also called Joy to the World, was written by Isaac Watts back in 1719. 
That was before I was born, a long time ago. And unfortunately, there's no dun 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 in this song. But listen to these words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Now that's the second song. Notice that in this song, joy is all about the king of the earth arriving and creation singing about the savior of the world. Now just on the surface, one song's about a wine-drinking frog and the other one is about the king of the earth's arrival. Both are joy in the world. And I hope you can see why I believe joy is a little complicated since how can joy be about both things. One seems kind of silly and the other seems very important. And admittedly, one song is a worldly song and one song is religious, but still joy is complicated and we'll revisit that later in this message. There's also a lot of joy throughout the biblical Christmas story, especially early in the story. But it's important to note that, that this joy isn't separate from pain and disappointment. In fact, much of this joy is born out of a long disappointment and grief. And we're going to look a little closer at this as we explore the stories and experiences of Elizabeth and Mary. In Luke, his Christmas story starts earlier than Mary and Joseph and Jesus with a prophet named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Luke starts off, In the beginning of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abidajah, if I got that right. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. That's Luke 1 verses 5 through 7. This short text would have spoken volumes about information to Luke's original audience. Here we have Herod, this Roman king, keeping the Jews under harsh Roman control. And they're tough times. Could we also see some tough times here right now in our world? And here we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of this priestly lineage. And in the day, with a lot of religious corruption by the Pharisees and Sadducees, wait, seeing anything tied into what's going on now? Zechariah and Elizabeth are a stark contrast. They're described as righteous, blameless, faithful. Kind of think of Lurleen, some of our wonderful ladies in our church that are just, when I think of quality, religious, Bible-following people, Mary, Debbie, and I don't mean to leave anybody out. I'm just saying they were very, very faithful to the Lord. And this is important in light of what Luke tells us next. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are old, and they've never been able to have children. And I tried to research 
and age of Elizabeth. I couldn't really find anything in Scripture. Some of the Bible scholars estimated maybe as old as 80, some in the 40s, but you know, obviously back in that day, um, that was an advanced age. And then this lady suddenly changes and miraculously has this thing happen when the angel Gabriel shows up and tells Zechariah that his wife is going to have a son, a powerful prophetic son who will prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And Elizabeth, she's quick to believe this news. And when she becomes pregnant, she says, The Lord has done this for me. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among His people. That's Luke 1, verse 25. And there's an odd note in the verse before that tells us that Elizabeth went into seclusion for the first five months after her pregnancy. Maybe this is something to do with Elizabeth's disgrace that she mentioned for her inability to have children would have been a lifelong source of pain and sorrow and shame. It was a big deal in that culture. The young Jewish woman would have questioned herself and probably asked questions you know, and gotten questioned from other, other women. They probably would have questioned her unfairly, casting suspicion and unfounded blame on her. Her self-worth probably sunk as the years passed and hope of having a child dimmed. At some point, she and everyone around her would have declared Elizabeth barren and branded her with that lifelong stigma. And that's possibly why she stayed in seclusion for five months, keeping to herself, maybe to let her hope blossom into joy personally, or perhaps to ensure that the pregnancy was indeed going to last. If we were watching this scene unfold here, like in a Lifetime movie, this is where we'd get some titles that said, Meanwhile in Galilee, um, you've got Elizabeth, six months pregnant, and Gabriel makes another earthly appearance, this time to Mary. And he's delivering the most miraculous pregnancy announcement of all. Mary received the news gracefully and willingly, but at some point early on, Mary must have known that her challenges and disgrace were just about to begin. The scorn and shame she would face, her family and her fiancé as well, would be tremendous when it became obvious that she was pregnant but not married. How do you make people believe the baby in your womb is God's son? Even Joseph couldn't believe this news at first, and as Matthew uh, describes it to us, Joseph planned to break off their engagement in what would have been a divorce in that culture. Mary's journey would not be easy. Luke tells us Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Mary must have heard about her relative Elizabeth's Miraculous pregnancy. If anyone will understand, she thought, it's got to be Elizabeth. And she might have thought that, and that was correct thinking. This is where the joy erupts. Against this past backdrop of discouragement, grief, shame, the joy comes bursting through for these two mothers-to-be. What a relief this must have been to Mary. She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry anymore about being understood. All she had to do was say hello, and Elizabeth knew. 
Even her developing baby knew and leaped within her body. This was just affirmation and encouragement that Mary needed. And there's a lot we can take away from this story, but I'd like to focus on three points that we can apply to our own experience with joy. You know, we've probably all heard joy described in contrast to happiness. Happiness is fleeting and temporary, and joy is a deeper, more fulfilling thing. Often in our culture, the two get split into happiness is worldly and maybe less valuable or fulfilling, and joy is more spiritual, more important, more filling. In actuality, the Bible doesn't make a distinction between joy and happiness. They're essentially different words describing the same thing. They may have slightly different nuances, like many synonyms do, but those are often cultural reasons. They've been translated somewhat differently in our English translations of the Bible, but if you go back to the original Hebrew and Greek terms used in the Bible to describe joy and happiness, they're essentially interchangeable. It's okay to want to be happy and joyful, and it's okay to enjoy these emotions. And there's great joy in the Christmas season. I mean, it brings me joy to see all these kids in our church this morning. Looking forward to Jesus' birthday party tonight. It's just, it's just one of the things I really enjoy. And it can sometimes be hard to find the right balance in our lives to savor and experience that joy. But to those of you who find yourselves driven by obligation and busyness and guilt this season, it's okay to stop, say no, pause, and embrace a part of the season that brings personal happiness. And to those of you who find Christmas to be kind of a painful, sad time, to those of you who are hurting and grieving personally or feeling discouraged, maybe you've got a lot going on, all the things going on in our world, um, be happy to revel in this season. It's okay to feel and embrace joy. God sees you no matter where you are on the emotional spectrum of happiness. Our longing for happiness and joy is a natural desire that God has placed within us as a reflection to His own joyful nature. Whatever term we call it, the most important part of our, it's the most important part of our source of joy and happiness. There's a great example of this in the principle in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an Old Testament leader who got permission from King Artaxerxes. I don't know why I pick hard words. But anyway, you get who I'm saying here. And they want to return from exile in Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem, starting with the walls. This process was more than just a return to a physical city. It was a spiritual reawakening for the people. In chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, he brings all the people together and they bring out the law of Moses and read it. Nehemiah is calling the people to remember and return to their relationship with the Lord. And as he does this, the people are weeping. Maybe there are some tears of joy from some of the people who remember God's words from years past. 
But most of them weep from sadness as they recognize their guilt and that they've drifted from God. But there's still beauty in the midst of this scene. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah is quoted as saying, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's Nehemiah 8.10. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Why? Because this is a time of happiness that God has brought us back and is restoring our city and our hearts. And because our source of strength is the very joy of the Lord. It's what fuels and sustains us. Our true source of happiness and joy and fulfillment comes from Christ. Christmas is a season of joy because the Messiah has brought into the world and provided us the way of ultimate fulfillment and life. Peter describes it as this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. An inexpressible and glorious joy, that, that's really kind of deep stuff. And it's the kind that finds its source even deeper than our pain and our sorrow and the problems that can bury us. It's a deep well that we can draw upon no matter what we're facing. And I'm not suggesting that this is a, ah, don't worry, be happy, put on a fake smile kind of joy. Because sometimes this joy can be a rushing fountain erupting from our spirits, but sometimes it's a thick, slow bubble to the surface. Wherever you find yourself today, let me encourage you that the joy of the Lord can be felt no matter what you're facing. And that leads me to my final point. There are a lot of uses of the word rejoice in the Bible. It's not a word that we may use often in kind of our modern society, but maybe we ought to. Rejoice is the verb form of joy. It's the action of feeling or expressing joy and delight. And if you look a little closer at the word, you'll notice that it begins with the prefix re. If you think back to your high school English class, the other words that start with re. And you'll remember this prefix means once more or again or to return to. So to rejoice is to return to joy. It's a return to our source of joy. It's a return to Jesus. Church, I believe that this is the only way we can really find true delight and satisfaction. And I believe this process is the same for all of us, whether we're feeling the happiness and joy of this season or not, whether we're buried in discouragement or everything that's going or everything's going our way. None of us can conjure an unending supply of feel-good happiness all the time, no matter how optimistic or positive we happen to be. Sooner or later, we'll have those days, those weeks, maybe those years. 
And in reality, we all have them more often than we'd like. That's where the re comes in. That's where we must return regularly, daily, constantly to Jesus. He's our source of joy. That's why rejoicing is a process of refueling our tanks. A tractor is going to run out of diesel. And you can either park that tractor and go get another one if you're really, really rich. Or you can return to the gas pump and put some diesel in your tractor. It's kind of a restoring of our strengths in our bodies and renewing our spirits. It's reconnecting with our Savior. And it's in this process that the Apostle James has some words that make sense when he encourages us by saying, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know what the testing of your faith produces. It produces perseverance. Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes that's the last thing we want to hear when we're hurting. Joy can feel far away when we're grieving or maybe we're depressed or afraid as our pain and problems seem large. Let me encourage you that James isn't necessarily saying be happy about our trials and problems. He's saying we can find joy in them when we see the big picture that's beyond those individual joy or pains and sorrows. That bigger picture starts at our source in Jesus. Let's rediscover Christmas this year by embracing joy. No matter what we're going through, let's remember each day the source of our joy. Let's seek our happiness, not in the seasonal trappings and the traditions and the hustle and bustle, but in returning constantly to our source of joy. Let's choose to continue the process of rejoicing despite the pain and challenges we face. Let's heed the good news of angels that will bring great joy to all of us. A Savior is born, our Messiah, the Lord, and He will carry us through and complete His work in us no matter what. Now, y'all remember back to the start of the message of this song, Joy to the World? So as I wrap up this morning, I thought back to my DJ days, and Misty will think, oh no, there is this thing called a mashup, where you take one song and you mix it with another. Kyle, you might remember this from your school days, maybe a mixtape. <clears throat> so I wrote a mashup version of Joy to the World, and I need some congregation participation to say that <clears throat> at the right time. So here we go. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our Lord and Redeemer. Singing joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Joy to you and me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive our King. Let every heart Prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing, and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. One more time. Joy to the world because our Savior 
reigns, he reigns indeed. Today, there's still a joy to be found that rises above the stress and the disappointments of our day. There's a joy that comes from hearing the Lord, that he loved us enough to come the first time and die as a sacrifice for our sins. There's a joy that comes from encouraging the living God when we call on him in faith, asking him to forgive us and include us in our family. This joy is something that kind of springs up within us and that we want to share with those around us. This joy overflows into praise and worship as we glorify the Lord and thank Him for giving us the greatest gift we could ever receive. Life with Him that goes on forever. Is He your Savior? Have you received Him as your Lord? He's the promised Messiah. God made flesh who lived among men and died at their hands so that we could have the opportunity to do life with Him forever. He's here today and He wants to turn your mourning into dancing, your sorrow into joy, your darkness into light, your failure into victory. Will you say yes to Him today? Let us pray. Father, we just, we just thank you for joy. We thank you for your Son. There's so many wonderful gifts that we can give this Christmas season, but the gift, best gift we can ever hope to receive is your Son and the promise of a forever in heaven with you. I pray that as we approach this Christmas week, we take the time to look for joy to give joy to others, and to be thankful for the joy that you have given us. In your son's precious name I pray. Amen.